want to say that it's good to see everybody back with us. We're glad you're here. Hopefully we'll have something to say that you might be able to use as you go along life's way. You know, I uh, had told the people from North Texas, North Central Texas, that uh, I was going to try not to give them reruns. And I've got some stuff that I'd never used. I've never given this one. The one I want to talk to you about this, this afternoon is a thing that I put together a number of years ago in the Gunner area. And I, I'm maybe around here, y'all do it too. The first Sunday of May, they have Cemetery Decoration Day. And we go to the cemeteries and you remember the people that lived and you decorate the, the graves and all that. And they normally have a little business meeting and stuff like that. And particularly Gunner uh, Cemetery and Elliott Cemetery are the two main ones that, that we work with and, and do that kind of work with. Uh, Whitaker haven't done as much with. That's the third cemetery that's outside of Gunner there. But as you go there, one of the things we do after all the services are over and you're decorating and all that, you go around, you look at all the stones. And one of the things you'll notice is they almost always give a year that somebody, a date that somebody was born, and they give a year and a date that they died. And in between, there is a dash. And I decided I'm going to put together a talk to do one of the decoration days about the dash. I want to talk to you about the dash. When you're born and what year you died is not going to be what's important. The dash in between is what's going to be important. That's going to be the sum of somebody's life. This day, as I was out there at the Gunner Cemetery, supposed to give this talk, it was cold. Uh, uh, one of those northers had come through, uh, and they were talking about whether to put a gate up that would be automatic or just a padlock with a chain, and they went very deep into that discussion. I didn't think you could do that, but they did. And uh, as, as it was wearing on, I, I made a motion that we forego the speech, and so I never gave this uh, because, of, uh, because of the weather and because of the length of time that it had been. Many of you here have family that's buried in one of those cemeteries out there. And, and I've, I've actually got to go by and see some of those graves as well. So I want to talk to you about the dash. And the guy I want to talk about is in Genesis chapter 5, the begats. And we're going to start in about verse number 25. Methuselah lived 180 and 7 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived, after he begat Lamech, 780 and 2 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 900 Sixty and nine years, and he died. Now, this is the oldest man that ever lived. This is number one. Nobody has ever lived older than Methuselah. 969 years. And in 969 years, you know what he got for that? Two verses. <laughs> That's it. What do you really know about Methuselah? Well, he was an old guy. Well, yeah, that's true. He lived to be 969 years. Did he do anything? Well, he begot sons and daughters. He had a son named Lamech, and he had a grandson named Noah. You know what's interesting about Methuselah? Is if you do a timeline, or you get a timeline of the Bible, and you can look this up, in his 969th year, the flood came. Noah's flood. Did, did Methuselah... Get, obviously he wasn't on the boat. Did he die before the flood? Or was he like a lot of the others? goes, you know, I got a lot of grandkids, but this little Noah dude, he's a little weird, you know. <laughs> he's odd. I mean, he got this idea that he's going to build this boat, and who knows why. And he hears voices all the time. And 
you know, you know, family gatherings. Did Methuselah think like that? Did he die before the flood? Did he, did, did he die in the flood? You don't know that. You're not told that. We just know that he lived 969 years. He begat Lamech, and who begat Noah, and his grandson was very famous for building that, that boat. Some of the timelines, if you do it, it's very possible that he could have overlapped Adam. Now, how cool would that be? I knew the first guy that God ever created on this earth. There's a claim to fame. Doesn't say that about him. It just says 969. You know, sometimes we go to funerals and we have little lines that we use and, and little phrases that we use. Went to a funeral back. I quit using this, by the way. I got broke of that. But uh, I was probably 23, 24. Went to a funeral. The guy was 90 years old that died. And there was a little fellow right ahead of me on a walker. And we went up there and both of us standing there. And I go, well, he lived a good long life. And this little old man looked up and goes, let me tell you something, son. When you're 90, 91 don't seem very old. <laughs> and I got to thinking, maybe we ought to get off this long life stuff. I remember growing up and preaching and stuff, you're, you're involved with funerals quite a bit. And I'd be 14, 15, 16 years old. I'd go to a funeral, somebody 40 and everybody's crying. I can't figure out why. He lived a good long life. He 40, good night. You know, now, now I talk about having a 40-year-old kid. The kid. If you're 40, you're a kid, you know. Sometimes people will say, well, it was God's will. It was God's will. We had a family growing up, lost a, a daughter in a car wreck. And uh, a very sad occasion, young, young, young lady. And, and then a few years later, a couple of years after that, lost another daughter out of that same family. And... It turned out that instead of sending flowers, they did a donation thing, you know, like some do. And they sent the money to Mexico to build, and they dug some water wells and things like that. And one of the ladies goes, I know why God took my daughters so that those people down there could have that. It was the will of God. No, it's not. I want you to know at the time I bought into that, and I go, well... How much water they need, because I've been feeling a little under the weather lately, you know what I mean, you know? And God kills you for a water well, and I'm not making fun of that family, because it's very, they want to make sense of why did my child have to die like that? Your child died because that's the way of all flesh, folks. You know, y'all, several of you have talked about 40 years ago when we'd all get together out at the park and play football and then play basketball and all that. We're not doing that anymore. We're going the way of all flesh. Thomas Richburg told me we were, we were iron men. Now we're rust buckets. <laughs> it happens, doesn't it? I was glad that y'all have those little devices for the hearing impaired. If you get me where I can see, I mean, we'll have it whipped here. You know, I tell people I don't hear well anymore. And I make up for it by not being able to see. This Bible here, there's a reason I quote Bible. I can't see. It's hard. I, I write notes, but I can't see my notes. You know, it, we go the way of flesh. Let me tell you something about your God. Get back on this will of God that somebody died. It's not God's will that you die. God did not will for you to die. In fact, is God has done everything he could so that you and I can live and live eternally. God does not will that man die. You know what brought, according to Romans, 
One man sin, by one man's sin, death entered into the world. All die because all have sinned. Now, physical and spiritual death entered into the world back there in the Garden of Eden. God did not want and does not. Jesus did everything he could do. So you don't have to die. God wants you to live. Jesus, in John 10, he said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You know, I used to think you had to die to get the abundant life. That's ridiculous. You don't have to die to have an abundant life. He came to give you abundant life right now. And you can have that. He's offering that. He wants you to live and then he'll offer you eternal life. If we'll accept it. Jesus and God have done all they can do. The Savior has done all he could do. So you could live. And live abundantly. Let me tell you something. People make fun sometimes of the idea of living by the Bible and going by the Bible. But if you did, if everybody did all their life, every human being that ever lived, if we did exactly what God told us to do, you wouldn't need a lock. You wouldn't know what a lock was. Nobody's stealing nothing. And it's inconvenient because you got it. which key opens the lock. <laughs> okay, I know some of you now have the, and probably you can open it with your iPhone. I don't know. But you wouldn't know what a lock was. You wouldn't have to lock your door at night. You know, there wouldn't be any self-defense programs. My little brother told me one time, he said, I want you to know, Marlon, that God created man and Mr. Colt made them equal. You wouldn't have to have that except for hunting, I reckon. You wouldn't know what a murder was. You wouldn't see people doing all kinds of the junk that they do. Somebody goes into a school, shoots up a bunch of kindergartners. You wouldn't see that if everybody did what God told them to do. God wants you to live and live abundant life. It seems to be man the weak link in the chain, isn't it? All the evil that you see in the world, it did not come from God. We did that on our own. There's an old country song that I like. And, and it, it really describes Marlon, to be honest with you. The first time I did it, the devil made me do it. The second time, I did it on my own. <laughs> you ever been there? First time, the devil tricked me and I got fooled. Second time, I just did it on my own. God wants you to live. That's why the Savior has died. That's why you're going to church. That's why we are preaching these gospel meetings. That's why people obey the gospel. We want abundant life. We want it in this life and eternal life in the world to come. God didn't will that you die or family member die. But we are flesh. Solomon and... and uh, Ecclesiastes, if you read it, when you get down to the end, it's good, but it's kind of a depressing sort of a book when you get started in there. Solomon says, one generation cometh, another goeth, and is soon forgotten. How long will you be remembered? That's the dash. How long are you going to be remembered? Now, God will remember you forever. You know, I was talking this morning, we talk about Brother Truman Teal. There's a good bit of this, this group tonight, maybe, maybe half or better, don't know who he was. And to, to, to us that are older, that, that, that's sad, isn't it? But what you do is going to make a difference. There is, if you are from Gunner, 
you become an elder, you go out to Gunner Cemetery. There's a gravestone of a fellow out there that died in 1963. His name was Will Hayes. And I want you to know that if you become an elder and gunner, you're going to be measured by Will Hayes. And no, you're not going to live up. So give that one up right now, too. I don't know how many times ago, well, I don't know that Brother Hayes would have done it that way. I don't know. He died 10 years before I showed up on your doorstep. But, you know, that's over 50 years ago. And people are still talking about, you know, people in town that didn't go to church, that doesn't go to church with us, call him Brother Hayes. He made quite an impact, didn't he? There was an afternoon that he decided, I don't know if he had TV or radio or what they had back then, but he decided that in the 50s, he goes, I've got a young family I need to visit, a young couple. They're not coming to church. And I don't know what he could have done or would have been doing that, that Sunday, but that afternoon he went over and visited Tex and Lily Monk that had just gotten married. They got married the year I come into the world. I had no idea who they were. And it was going to be years before I met them. But Will Hayes went over there and convinced them to go to church. Pop eventually had five kids and all the in-laws are part of the church. I lost, I mean, if we all get together, it's a, it's a walking congregation there. I mean, there's 60 of them or better. Because somebody went and said, that young couple needs to go to church. And so for the last 50-something years, everybody there is judged by that life. If you're from Oklahoma, you're going to be judged by a guy by the name of Jimmy Ramsey. And he died in the early 70s. And no, you're not going to live up. So get over that one too. Strike two, boys. But see, their lives impacted people. And that's what's going to make the dash between death and birth and death, that's what makes it important, is how many lives have you touched? That's what makes the difference. Whether you get 969 years, or you're like Jesus and you get 30, 33, depending on how you mark time. That young man of 30 or 33 when he was crucified, nobody has impacted the world that way. And he only got a very short amount of time to do it. Now, I realize it was God's plan, and he's the son of the living God, and he's the Messiah, and he had to fulfill God's will. What are they going to say about you? What's the dash mean? What is it that we're going to be remembered for? How many lives have we touched? That's what's going to make the difference. It was in Massachusetts, and uh, went to the city of, they call it Concord. They, they don't know how to pronounce this. I had to help them. Y'all mean Concord? <laughs> you know, and uh, they, they know Marley's Concord. That's, that's what we call it, Lexington and Concord. They go, Lexington and Concord. And they go, by the way, Marlon, on this, uh, this uh, Texas talking, you don't have to exaggerate that. <laughs> You've already got that one down, son. Uh, but we went to Concord. And, uh, and, went, and you go down one of these streets and you come at the end of the street and you go up a little hill and there's a cemetery there. From, and a lot of people from back in the 1600s buried up there. One of them is a preacher. I don't know who this guy was. He's 1600s, man. But I know what they wrote about him. On that stone, and you can still read it, it said he burned himself out so others can see the light. And I thought, wow, 
There's a guy that impacted lives. Must have touched a lot of lives for them to want to write that. You know, I always thought it'd be cool to have said of me what was said of Abe Lincoln. When he died, they said he was complex of mind and single of heart and knew no fear except the fear of being wrong. I thought, that's cool. That'd be cool. And then I realized when I was reading the scriptures what the best thing to be said was. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. That'd just about sum it up, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that the way you'd want to be remembered? The way we'd want, I'd want to be remembered? A servant of Jesus Christ. That dash is going to be important, not by the number of years that you live, but that dash is going to be important by the lives you touch during that time span. Some are given a number of years and some are not. Now, what do we know about Methuselah? Okay. Oldest man ever lived, died the year of the flood, had a grandson named Noah. Congratulations. <laughs> 969 years and that's what we got. A thousand years old. And that's what you got. Was he righteous? I don't know. Was he unrighteous? I don't know. There's not a lot said about him other than how long that he lived. I don't know how many years God's going to give you, but they're going to go by in a hurry and they're short. In James 4 and 14, you're like, what is your life? It's even as a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, I've got this tea kettle at home and uh, I put water in it because I drink instant coffee at home. And you put that on there and you get it to, to boiling and all that. And it whistles and that vapor comes out. You turn the heat off and it's gone. That's your life. It's a vapor that appears for a little while and then it's gone. Oh, and by the way, since we're getting along so good here, at what age does life slow down? Some of you brethren a little older than me need to tell me. I've always heard it was 60. That ain't it, trust me. That, that, that ain't going to cut it. You know, I couldn't figure out why is it that old people could sit around and do nothing and be perfectly happy. It's because they don't ever get to do that. That's why. So I don't know when life slows down, but I know this is short. And time goes by in a hurry. I, we've got a picture hanging in the wall, on the wall at home. And it's got our six grandkids. And they're out in front of the little house that Bev and I first lived in the, the year we got married back in 75. Those grandkids and that little house they're sitting in front of, I, I rented that over 40 years ago. If God allows us enough time, we're crowding 50 years here. You know, it seems like it went by in a hurry, doesn't it? It seems like it was just yesterday. People talk about, hey, I want to sell you a truck, but it's a 1996 model. I'm going, that's not very old. And then you do the math on it. It qualifies as an antique. <laughs> that's a classic. Now, do you know that if you watch Barrett Jackson, you know what I do in my spare time, that car show, they're running cars from the 80s in there. Went by in a hurry, didn't it? But it doesn't seem that long ago. Because life is a vapor that appears for a little while. And I want you to all understand one thing. If you don't get nothing else. Methuselah lived to be nearly a thousand years old, but he was very mortal. And you may not get a thousand years. You may, you may get a hundred or 150 years or something like that. But you are very mortal. And you need to be prepared for what happens next.
That's the point. Because it's a vapor. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.24 that you're like the grass of the field that today is, tomorrow's cast into the oven. It's gone. Grass has a very you know, short life sometimes like that. It's just here and then it's gone. The question is, what are you going to do with this time you've got? You've got right now. You've got today. You don't have tomorrow and you can't get yesterday back. You know, sometimes I get to thinking we want to go back to the good old days. The good old days that never were. <laughs> These are the good old days. What are you doing with them? This is the best time ever to be alive. Because you are alive. What are you going to do with it? You know what Jesus said in John 9 and 4? I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Night's coming, boys. We got that song, I Walk with the King. I've never understood this phrase. But every now and then I would tell my little brother-in-law we'd be out working on uh, getting some cattle up or something like that. And I said, Alan, we got to hurry. Tis evening past day. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know, but I like the phrase. So I use it because dark was coming. One of my sister-in-law's, Teresa, she got very upset at me. Called me up on the phone. Said, if I do it again, I'm going to come over and stay up with the girls. We were out on a pasture, and it was getting late in the evening, and I come back with my horse and loaded him in the trailer. And the girls, they were all about yay high. And I said, your daddy won't be out here after dark. I'm going to tell you that right now. He ain't going to be out here after no dark. And I said, he's going to get back out of here. And they go, why? And I said, werewolves. <laughs> I'm telling you, he ain't going to be out here. Them werewolves will get you out there. I mean, when you hear that howling, of course, coyotes are going off and all that kind of stuff, and their eyes are getting big. And here comes Alan, and he is riding that horse as hard as he can, throws him in the tra trailer, slams the door, goes, we got to get out of here. And I look back there and go, and Teresa called me up and goes, hey, next time you're staying up with them till midnight. See, the reason Alan did that was because it was getting dark and he didn't have lights on the trailer and we can get stopped. <laughs> and he was trying to get home before he got in trouble with the law. You know, but, you know, hey, never lose a good situation. But, you know, night come and the day ended. That's what Jesus was talking about. Now, in the wintertime, we, we don't care for that too much because what does it do? Get dark about 5, 5.30 in the afternoon. In the summertime where it doesn't get dark to any ten, sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long. In our estimation, the days are. But life is short and the night is coming. Whatever you do, do it quickly. Do it now. Don't wait. You ever, in, in, in James 4, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You ever wonder what he was talking about? Well, it's pretty self-explanatory, Marlon. If you know what to do and you don't do it, it's a sin. It's not what he was talking about. He was right. You're right about that. Don't get me wrong. If you're, that's right after he said, what is your life? It's just a vapor. What he was saying, if you know to do good, you do it now. Don't put it off. Because you don't have tomorrow, people. The night is coming in which no man can work. What are you doing with the time God has given you? The Bible tells us it is high time that we wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. And I can look around and I can see the young people back in the day that aren't so young no more. The night's coming. What are you going to do with that time that you have? I don't know how Methuselah used his time. I don't know what all he did in his life. Surely he touched something. How many lives have you touched and made a difference in? 
In Luke 12 and 15, Jesus said, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. You know, I heard a story one time about an old boy said, I won't be buried with all my money. And the lawyer said, we can do that. He goes, really? He goes, I want to take it with me. He goes, I ain't kidding you, we can do it. So they got all his stuff, they sold it all, put it in an account. The lawyer was in control. The guy died, the lawyer wrote him a check, put it in the box with him. <laughs> I used to say, you've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul. One of the young preachers come through and they had a slide of a hearse pull in a U-Haul. So I have, you can Google that. I have a, seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul. But you know the concept I'm getting at, you're not going to take that with you. It's what you leave behind that's important, not what you take with you. You know the rich farmer, Luke 12, and he's going to tear his barns down. He's going to build bigger and all that. You know, and I understand he was hung up on himself. And I understand that if you go through there and you look at the personal pronouns of me and I and all that, you can see what his problem was pretty much. But there is a phrase in that that's interesting. Thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? Jesus was letting him know, hey, buddy, you ain't taking it with you. So you do real well in life. You're really successful. You got all this money and all that kind of stuff, and that's wonderful. You've got the bumper sticker on your car. The guy that dies with the most toy wins, not necessarily. But what happens to all that stuff? Well, your kids and grandkids get to go to court and fight over it. Thanks, Dad. Does it consist in houses and cars and land? What's our life consist of? You know, I've found a way to support my habit, preaching, by killing bugs. You know, I hope I'm not remembered as a good bug guy. I tell Bev, we come in, she goes, I got ants. And I'll look at them and tell her, I go, you, know, you got this kind of an ant. And she goes, how do you know? I go, well, if you look at their abdomen, the back end of the ant, it's shaped a certain way for different types of ants. She goes, let me get this straight. You can tell me what kind of ant I got by looking at the back of them? I go, yeah. She goes, get a life. <laughs> I hope I'm a Christian that happened to kill bugs. I hope you're a Christian that happened to farm or work at the hardware store or whatever it is you do. But we're a Christian. I had a guy one time in the bug business. He got up and, of course, what he's wanting is everybody to be there. But uh, he said, I want you to know there's three parts to life. He said, I have my religious life. I have my family life and then I have my business life and I don't let them cross. I got thinking, that's sad, son. He's younger than me. I said, that's sad. Because see, I want to be a Christian all the time. I want to be a Christian in my job. And I tell people, if you call me up and say, hey, we got ants. I go, well, do you want me to do the Christian thing and talk them into giving up the troublemakers? Or, <laughs> hey, you'll like that one tomorrow. You'll think that one through. And they go, hey, that was pretty good. You know, there's not much you can do with pest control here on being funny. So, But your, your business life is not your Christian life and your family life. You don't bring that in. You don't cross them. Folks, that's sad if that's the way we are. What happened to let your light shine? What happened to you're the salt of the earth? But if the salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Henceforth good for nothing to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Make a difference. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 and 3 that 
God the Father has given us all, has supplied to us all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. God wants to bless you. Now, he may not bless you with wealth. He may not bless you with long years. He may not bless you with possessions. But he wants to enrich your life if you'll let him. Now, I hope Methuselah was a, was a God-fearing man. And I hope Lamech and Noah learned it from Methuselah, the granddad. I hope so. Because God has provided spiritual blessings. Let me tell you something. I told you this morning, I had the idea that when kids get grown, your job as a parent is pretty much done. It don't work that way, by the way. But you worry about them more as they get grown, and then they bring them little ones into the world. And you realize, granddad, you ain't done yet. They need to follow our steps. If they follow your steps, your little ones follow your steps, will it lead to the throne of God? Where's it going to lead them? That's the dash, fellas. That's the dash. That's between the born and died part. Where does your steps lead these little ones? They're going to follow you. Now, we've got a young man at home, and he's a haze boy. Y'all have liked this story then. And boy, when he leads song, he's got that hand going and all that. My oldest grandson, he uh, got to where he, uh, he's obeyed the gospel and he's read a few times and he got up and leads the song. And you know what he does? Has no idea what he's doing, but he does that, whatever that is, you know, just like this old man that he's imitating is 19. Think about that one, folks. And I told him, I said, you watch that little fella to you to him, you are one of the older ones. And you're 19. Jeremy, years ago, the boy that's going to be 40 this coming, this coming March, he came in one time, he'd gone to a gospel meeting. He said, I want to be like the old guys, Dad. He was about 12. And I thought maybe it was down in Dallas, so I thought maybe he meant one of the elders down there, or one of the deacons, or you know something like that, or one of their speakers. And I said, like who? And he said, I want to be like Sean Hanley. He's 18, son. What do you mean the old guys? You know, if you're 12, 18's an old man, I guess. Apparently, that's what I got out of it. But you know what? They're watching, aren't they? And they're following. Jeremy was two years old. He got a three-piece suit back in the day, back in the 70s and early 80s. We had three-piece suits and things because we tried to go back to the 20s, apparently. But... Uh, it, sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. But he had his little three-piece suit, and Bev and I got him a little pocket Bible, and he would stand up in front of the TV and do that, and he would preach a sermon. You know what he'd say? He'd stand there, a little two-year-old, shake his finger, hold his Bible in the ministerial look, you know, and go, be good, don't sin. I've spent over 50 years trying to top that, <laughs> and I ain't got it done yet. Be good, don't sin. I mean, that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Where do these kids get this stuff? They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. They're looking. They're watching you. If they do like you do, where's it going to lead them? Now, Ecclesiastes, young people, it says, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth before the evil days come, and you say, I have no pleasure in them. You know what that means? 
Let me give you, let me tell you what that really means. That means you don't got to make the same mistakes the older ones did. Don't learn everything the hard way. Probably will, because we did too. Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. The evil days are coming. And the things that were cool and fun, they're not going to be so cool and fun anymore. Remember thy creator when you're young. That's the dash. You know, when it comes to family, the reason I bring up family is because I believe most of you are like me. I mean, I, I blow through cars all the time. I mean, they're just sheet metal, you, can, you know, nuts and bolts. And I see people get all upset over their car, and I don't understand why. We had a house burned down, and we, everybody's boohooing about it, and I don't know why. We're going to Walmart and buy more heirlooms, you know. And so uh, we didn't lose anybody in the thing. Like, family's what's important, isn't it? Now, I told you, Bev and I are, going, are crowding 50 years. Some of you have already crossed that mark. And I've known people that have made it well into the 60s and one that couple that did it to the 70 years. But I mean, you've got to live long enough to do that. And people say, what is the secret? What is the secret to a long marriage? And I've tried to break it down and figure out how can I do this in a soundbite? Because I don't want to go through a big, long explanation. And I come up with a one sentence on how to have a good marriage. Don't quit dating. That's it. Don't quit dating. Treat her like you did all the days of your marriage. Treat her like you did when you were trying to impress her when you were young, fellas. She responded to it once. I bet she'll respond to it again. Ladies, treat him like you did when you wanted him to ask you out. You know, back in the day, we would, we would drive around. Bev would sit so close to me. They said you couldn't get a credit card between them. And I liked that. I had a standard I push the clutch, she shift the gears. We're a team, baby. So now we get out there, you know, after all these years, and I get in, she's right there sitting beside me. I, what, you want to drive? <laughs> what happened, folks? Don't quit dating each other. Don't quit doing what it takes to, to try to win them. Never let them go without saying, I love you. Years ago, I was in Allison, and Red... Dukes had a he'd lost his first wife and so I was sitting there and Bev was there and the kids were there they were on one of those trips with me and Red and I was going to go make a visit and I got up and said yeah we'll be back and he goes you forgot something buddy and I said what did I forget I've got my Bible I'm sure I'm dressed I mean you want me to wear a tie red I mean what's the deal here buddy he said you didn't tell her buying that you loved her he said, one of the days you're going to walk out the door and you come back, she ain't going to be there. You tell her that. He said, and, and I thought, okay. He goes, no, you go tell her that now. <laughs> Whatever you do, do it quickly kind of a thing, you know. He was serious about that. We were talking about going to Hawaii on a trip a number of years ago. We've been to Hawaii several times. I don't care for Hawaii much. It's pretty, I mean, you know, if you've seen one flower, you've seen them all. One ball. It's Dallas with volcanoes, basically. But, no, I'm serious about that. It really is. And so uh, I didn't want to go. It's expensive. It's a nine-hour plane ride. They're, we signed up. We went on a cruise around the islands. We signed up for an oldies rock and roll show on the ship that started at 10 o'clock. And when I signed up for it, I didn't realize that's 3 o'clock in the morning in Dallas. <laughs> we didn't make it. And uh, I didn't want to go. And Doyle Blue come in. He'd lost, just lost Francis. And he said, let me tell you something, boy. 
He said, if you have to spend a million dollars, you take her. Because one of these days, that money ain't going to mean nothing to you. Good advice from somebody that's been there, done that. Isn't it? Now, I didn't know that Rome and Ephesus and the Mediterranean was going to get involved in this deal because Doyle became Bev's new best friend. <laughs> Anytime she wants to go on a trip, she tells Doyle, you know. You know, you're not going to have a happy marriage or a happy life if you try to fulfill yourself. Fulfill the other one. Make them happy. Do what it takes to make them happy. My favorite story, and, uh, and one of the sisters down at College Park gave me a gift card to this. Years ago, I, after church, I'd go to church's chicken and get me a chicken. And I like to eat chicken legs and watch football. And, you know, a religious meal on Sunday, you know, go to church's chicken. And uh, you'll like that one tomorrow, too. <laughs> and Bev goes, Marlon, you, we always do what you want to do. And I'm going... And your point is, <laughs> you know, and I, maybe some of the rest of us would like to eat somewhere else. And I said, where do you want to eat? She goes, Long John Silver's. Now, you're talking about sacrificing for the other person. <laughs> Baby, that's sacrificing. I want you to know that. And so we go over to Long John Silver's because I don't want to be a tyrant and I want to make her happy. And I don't want to, you know, always have to have my way. So we go through Long John Silver's and she ordered chicken. <laughs> True story. And I'm going to tell you something, baby, the fight was on. <laughs> you ever notice it's little things like that that can derail you? You know, now if she, she wants to go to Long John Silver's, I don't have a bit of problem taking her. And she can order her chicken. Uh, chicken peg legs. I'll never forget what they call them little rascals. Chicken peg legs. You know, it wouldn't bother me a bit to take her now. But back then, it was a big deal. Have you ever noticed it's little things like that? It's the little things that make a difference. Now, when, when there's big problems and big trouble, we unite and we stand together. We don't seem to have a problem with that. It's, I go shaking if I don't have the remote. And I don't like commercials. <laughs> that ought to tell you what we're doing. Bev goes, I wish I could see a whole show. Well, we got a TV in the other room. <laughs> what happened to, no, you make the other one happy. Husbands, you try to fulfill the wife and her, her wants and wishes and needs. And wives, you try to fulfill his needs and wants and wishes. Put yourself on the back burner and it's going to come back to you. The most important thing you're going to do is have a hope of salvation. This life is going to end. You may be over a hundred. You may be a thousand. But it's going to come to an end. And the dash is going to be completed. And there's going to be a final date on it. The question is, what did you do with that dash? What did you do with that time, that precious, precious time that God has given you? And are you ready for eternity? If you are and you're touching lives, that's what the dash is about. If you're not ready for that, you need to be. God doesn't want you to die. God doesn't want you to suffer. Jesus died so you might live. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?